0: Hi, welcome to life. I'm really excited that you're here today. We are, if you are someone that usually comes to uh, visit us in person, I just want to say we have a few more weeks. We have one more Sunday in the building that we have been in for the last two years. We are moving into a new building. Now, um, if you're someone that just listens to the podcast or you watch us online, I want to invite you to come to our first week. It will be the first Sunday in March. I should know that date right now, but um, if you know me, you know that I'm not great with the details of dates and times and stuff, which is why I'm a fantastic announcement person. Uh, But anyway, it looks like we'll most likely be doing a soft opening before we can really get in there and do any, any of the uh, real prep because we want to make sure that we get the certificate of occupancy first, and we don't want to mess with the building before we get that. Uh, so, I would love it if you would join us. Um, th- this has been a very exciting time for Life Church. There are several people in the last month or so that have joined the church. Uh, there, that have like become members. There, we've had several visitors every week. We have new visitors um, in the last couple of months this year. Just in 2022, we have baptized a lot of people. Uh, there are people that are coming online with their giving. Uh, it's just it's just been a wild, wild uh, year so far and it's just gonna get even more exciting as we have more space for more visitors. So um, if you would like to join us, come join us in person. If not, uh, let's talk about how you can be part of life Church if you're just watching online or you're just listening to the podcast. So I would love to be able to uh, to explore that with you. So without further ado, we are in the Gospel of John. We're walking through the Gospel of John piece by piece. And uh, last week, or two weeks ago, Larry spoke last week, but two weeks ago, we covered John chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. And um, this whole area of this conversation, uh, today we're going to get into the conversation. That Nicodemus and Jesus had. It's one of the most important conversations in the history of the world and um, this is actually the conversation that got us started um, on going into the Gospel of John. Um, in October, when we started this series, uh, all the way back in October before the Christmas series, before the, um, before the, the new year, as we talked about setting up what 2022 all through January, we talked about different things, and, and I just preached the gospel over and over and over. Um, in all the way back in October, I started the conversation in John 2, 23 through uh, John 3, 6. So today, uh, I'll give you a little recap of that. But the, the whole reason that we started on the gospel of John is whenever a new person or, or someone asks me, not a new person, but whenever someone asks me, Uh, I'd really like to start reading the Bible, but I don't don't know where to start. I always tell them, start with the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is the only book in the Bible that says that it was written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing in Him, you may have life in His name. That is John 20, uh, verse 31. So uh, I always tell people to start there. So let me give you a little recap of what we talked about all the way back in October, Um, because I know that you guys have it memorized, but I'm just going to give you a recap anyway. Um, But uh, in John uh, 3 verses 1 through 6, it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. Jesus is having a conversation with Nicodemus that is upending everything that Nicodemus knew. It's a challenge. Uh, it's it's This conversation is a challenge to us. Do we hold on to our traditions or do we hold on to the truth? Um, we need to be people that hold on to our traditions and the way that we, that we understand the world to work. We need to hold on to those things lightly, and we need to let truth come, in and, and whenever we encounter it, we need to let it just wreck us and And we have to let the truth have its way and change us from the inside out. So I got to ask you, will you allow Jesus to shift what you thought you knew and upend and flip the tables in your mind about everything in your life? Uh, We think, we tend to think people are generally good, but Jesus says the exact opposite. And Jesus goes in and he flips tables in our minds and and he will um, just wreck the things that we think are right and wrong and he, he actually shows us what truly is right and wrong. So Nicodemus, uh, a little backstory on him, he is a ruler of the Jews. Uh, he is part of the Jewish ruling class. Um, of course, Nicodemus believes in God, the same God that we believe in. It, G, Jew, um, Nicodemus is well-versed. He, he teaches Sunday school, which is actually Saturday school, but he's a, a Bible scholar. And in Jesus' day, um, the Jews as they're growing up, they have to memorize the Torah. And Nicodemus was one of the elite. He was one of the best of the best. He knew the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He had those memorized. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night because he doesn't want anyone to see him because he's not sure that he's interested. He he knows that there's something going on here with this Jesus character, but he's not sure if if he can really go all in with this Jesus, but he's willing to come. And some people think uh, that Nicodemus was this this timid guy and he was a little a little shy and a little scared and he was kind of being a punk because he was coming at night. but Nicodemus is risking everything to come and talk to Jesus. Um, for us, like are we willing to look at our reflection of what Jesus calls us to and uh, allow Jesus to wreck our belief system? and conform what we believe into what he's telling us to believe. Um, Did you see how Jesus rebuked Nicodemus when he came to him at at night? He was like, how dare you come to me at night? No, no, because he was coming asking questions, and that really is what it's all about. So our section of scripture today is John 3, 7 through 14. Uh, Let me read that to you. Jesus said, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Again, one of the most important conversations in history because we get a little peek behind the curtain. There's this famous preacher of our day that says, If you're used to a 20-minute, immediately practical, relaxed talk, my preaching does not lead there. I won't preach 20 minutes but twice that long. I do not aim to be immediately practical but eternally helpful and to condition and the condition of my soul is not relaxed but standing vigilantly on the precipice of eternity speaking to people any of whom this week could go over the edge. Practically and eternally helpful is is where I always try to land every message that it would be practical for your life today and it would be eternally helpful for you and for the people around you. Uh, this passage today is, is practical for our lives today and it is uh, eternally relevant to us. It is relevant to your eternity. So Nicodemus sparks one of the most important uh, recorded conversations. Um, kind of like, uh, like us, we're facing these very difficult times uh, that we live in and we need to be a group of people who do not hang our hope on traditions or on worldly answers, but we hold to and we conform our lives to Jesus' words. We show others how to do the very same thing. You know, in this last this last uh, couple of years, thousands of churches have closed across the country, like thousands of churches. In this last year, Life Church, New Braunfels, we we more than tripled our attendance, and I know that attendance is not the The best matrix to measure the health of a church. I can tell you, uh, there are some good matrix, there are some good numbers that we can use to measure uh, the health of a church. I think that that people in discipleship is a very good, uh, a very good thing to measure. people that are getting baptized, um, people that are giving, that they're on mission and they're giving, people that are serving. in In all of those areas, we're we're growing and we're growing by a lot. Why is that? I continually ask myself why is that because I want to encourage those things. I want to figure out why it is and I want to keep doing those things because the more people that join this mission that we're doing here in New Braunfels, the more of an impact, an eternal, a kingdom impact we can have. But I think what has stood out to me is that you are a people we are a group of people who grab a hold of the truth, and we allow that truth to permeate every area of our being, every single part of our being. I think that you, you understand, you Life Church, New Braunfels, you understand that you are the church, that you are the missionaries, that you are the reason that the kingdom is advancing in our community. The life groups that we started this year, already they are changing people's lives. They're connecting people outside of the, the Sunday morning group. They're connecting people in the week. And those people are becoming friends and they're, and they're discipling each other and they're growing. Alpha is another thing that we started this year and it's, it's, uh, it's just wrecking people. It's stirring people up in their faith. Um, we are here to offer hope to a world that is increasingly hopeless we're supposed to be, by the way that we live, we're supposed to be bringing glory to God and causing people around us to marvel. Not marvel at how great we are, but marvel at how great God is. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, he said, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. You shouldn't be surprised here. He's like, he's like you knew that I was flipping tables, bro. You knew that I was preaching a whole new way to connect to God, I think that that many people, um, many people become Christians because it fits into their lifestyle. It fits into their life. It affirms the worldview that they already had, or their their the Christianity affirms their politics or it affirms their ideology, or it affirms the behavior that they already had or the lifestyle that they already had that they become, uh, not a Christian that's a follower of Christ, that's this radical believer that, that wants to change the world, but they become someone who is a Christianized version of what they were before they knew Jesus. And that's just not, it's just not what Jesus is calling us to. If the Christianity that you're trying to live is not causing you to marvel, if it's not causing the people around you to marvel, then maybe you aren't following Jesus after all. It took me like... I don't know, 40 seconds to get into this sermon to to where I I hurt your feelings. And, you know, I just, I, I I gotta poke at you here because are you following Jesus? Are you marveling at the truth that's being revealed? Are people marveling at the way that your life is so starkly different, the way that your hope is so starkly different to the people around you than the people around you? Maybe, maybe, look, maybe you're not being made into the image of Christ, which is this transformational thing that should be happening to all of us. We should be being transformed, and I've, I've spoken about this as transformational gospel. Uh, it was a, a message I spoke a few weeks ago that we're supposed to be um being transformed the gospel is supposed to be transforming us into the image of christ and so maybe instead of you being transformed into the image of christ that maybe you are making god in your image if there's no pushback in any part of your life if the way that you handle your money or the way that you handle your marriage or the way that you're parenting or the way that you are at work Look, if you're reading the Bible and it's just continually affirming who you already are, then I I'm just gonna tell you straight up, bro, or, or sister, you you are you are creating God in your image, because that should that should should be wrecking you. Sometimes you you have to be wrecked. Sometimes you have to struggle. Sometimes you have to marvel at the challenge of living what, what was known by the early Christians as, as people that, that live according to the way, capital the way. Just a different way of living. And the early Christians weren't even called Christians. They were called followers of the way. It was, it was so starkly different to the people around them. These guys were revolutionaries. And they lived so starkly different than the culture. And if you're not if you're not living starkly different to the culture, if you're not a follower of the way, then maybe it's because you are making God fit into your box instead of you fitting into his. That's that counterfeit Christianity. It's, counterfeit Christianity is becoming a Christianized version of what you already were before you met Christ. It's not real, and it, and it has absolutely no power. Uh, this kind of life... It never cuts you. and sometimes you have to have your flesh cut. you know whenever whenever someone confronts you and they're they're confronting you in something that that needs to be changed, sometimes uh, that confrontation hurts. and you know the part of you that really hurts? It's not your spirit, brother, it's it's not your spirit that is hurt. your spirit can't be hurt. Your spirit, the spirit that's alive in you is perfect. The part of you that hurts is your flesh. That's the part that hurts. And sometimes your flesh, it needs to be cut. It's kind of like a surgeon. in order to, When they operate on you, in order to make you better, they have, to, they have to cut you. And it has to hurt sometimes to mold you and to, to shape you. And in order for you to become Christ-like, you have to suffer. That's the only way. You cannot become Christ-like without suffering. Like you cannot, you cannot become successful. Show me someone successful that didn't have any struggles in their past. I'd love to see that person because if you can point out someone that is successful, that, that is a leader, that is a, a solid follower of Christ and they never had struggle, I can just tell you, they'll be the first one in history. When you come across something that you didn't see before in the Bible, are you willing to marvel at it and let it change you? Or will you just continue to mute that thing, to just read by it really quick, Because it doesn't fit into your preconceived tradition or your preconceived worldview that you already had. Let me tell you a story that changed the trajectory of my life. Very early on as a Christian, um, I did not have the, the church background. I didn't know all the Bible stories. I hadn't read any of the Bible before I got saved. And that being the case... I would stay up, right after I first got saved, I would stay up all night long reading the Bible. And then I would go to work in the morning, I would work all day, and then I would come home and I just couldn't get enough and so I would read the Bible again. I know that there's some of you listening to this or some of you watching this, that's you. That's exactly where you are right now. Let me just tell you, these times in your life, you will you will probably not have another time like this where you're just so hungry for the word. I pray that you do. I pray that that hunger never dies Uh, But when it's all new, it's the first time you're going through. You get these revelations, Uh, and I want to I want to share with you something that changed the the trajectory of my life. I was reading in 2 Kings 13. I'm going to read the verses to you. uh, 2 Kings 13, 14 through 19. It says, Elisha had become sick. Elisha is a prophet. Uh, Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, "Oh my father, my father the chariots of Israel and their horsemen." And Elisha said to him, "Take a bow and some arrows." So he took for himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, "Put your hand on the bow." So he put his hand on it. And Elisha put his hand on the king's hand, and he said, "Open the east window." And he opened it. Then Elisha said, "Shoot." And he shot and he said the arrow of the lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from syria for you must strike the syrians at aphek till you have destroyed them now imagine imagine this old man this old dying man standing there and and coming up behind he says all right now now draw back the bow and he pulls back the bow and and kings in this day were not these people were not politicians these were warriors these were this warrior king is standing there and he's just like he he's looking for this this thing to happen because there were these miracles that followed Elisha's ministry and so he he said all right now pull back the boat and then the old prophet comes up behind him and he and he puts his hand on on the hand of the warrior king and he, he gets up and he's he he says now shoot the boat imagine what this this warrior king is is thinking he's got all of his his people around him and they're all just kind of watching this thing and and uh Uh, Joash really believed that Elisha was a man of God, but what he was looking for was this big miracle. And that's not what he got. It goes on. It says, "Then, Then he said, Take the arrows. So he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, Strike the ground. So he struck three times and he stopped. And the man of God was angry with him. And he said, You should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. Imagine that for a second, like you have this, you have this warrior king with all of his boys standing around, and all of his, his warriors, his his people that are around him, and they're all watching this whole thing play out. And he takes the arrows, and and Elisha says, "All right, now now strike them on the ground." And so he he goes at it with all the intensity of a, of a golf clap. You know, he was he was uh, polite instead of passionate, and he just. Tick, 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 just tap some on the ground. And and this this angered the man of God. And that changed me. Because I, I became when reading this story, it was late at night. I'll never forget it. I became a different, a different person. The passion with which we we respond in the spiritual realm will almost certainly predetermine our victory in the in the physical realm whenever we are passionate in our pursuit of God the victories in the physical realm will will almost always follow the victories in the spiritual realm whenever we are are passionate now i, I have never been a little bit of anything i am not kind of anything i go I go hard. I go all in on the things that I do because I can't kind of sort of halfway do a thing. And the reason I can't kind of sort of halfway do a thing is because of this story. It changed me. It, it, it hit me like... The, the phrase, it hit, hit me like a ton of bricks, never made sense to me. When I was little, I heard that phrase. It hit me like a ton of bricks. If a ton of bricks hits you, you're dead. So, but it hit me it hit me really hard upside the head and it changed me. Uh, In that moment, I decided, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to do everything I do with passionate zeal as if I was doing it and Jesus was standing there watching me. We tend to let uh, the world change us instead of letting the word change us. It's crazy how something like this can just come out of left field. It's not connected to anything, but the Holy Spirit drops a truth bomb right on your head and you you are just completely surprised and that's how you know it is the Lord. R- repentance, you know, we talk about repentance, but repentance isn't so much about heart surgery as it is about brain surgery. You know, it's not so much how you feel as it is, how, it is what is right. You know, feelings feelings change often, but the truth just doesn't. Your feelings will change all the time, but the truth doesn't change. So that's why you have to decide the kind of person you're going to be. One of the biggest problems Christians do is they use their Bibles the wrong way. They, instead of using, you know, in James it talks about using the Bible as a mirror to where we can look at our reflection and we can figure out what is wrong with us and, and we, can, we can change the things that are wrong with us. We look at a mirror, and, and it's it's a fool. A person is a fool to look at themselves in a mirror and walk away and forget what they look like. So we look at ourselves in the mirror that is the Word of God. That's the way. That's the way it's supposed to be. But what Christians do instead is they they grab the Bible and they use them as binoculars to look out at everyone else and see how they're doing wrong and what's wrong with them. and And they're always looking outwardly and judging and condemning everyone else instead of reflecting and thinking about the things that that they can they can do differently or the things that where they're off. You know, the Bible is meant to be a mirror that we look at our own reflection and you cannot walk away from it, not changed, if you're sincere in it. So you have to... So you, in your way, has to die. Period. That's it. When you find out that it's a, a you thing and not a God thing, it has to die. Period. Right? Are you with me? So, Back to John 3, he said, the wind blows where it wishes and you will hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. This was the great hope that they had for this time. See, the Holy Spirit used to be only in the temple of God, and that was the only place that the Holy Spirit did anything. The Holy Spirit inhabited the temple, and sometimes it would fall on David, or sometimes it would fall on one of the prophets, but Um, for the most part, it was only in the temple. And now the Holy Spirit falls on us and the temple resides in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit is uh, living in us and alive in us, and we will allow him to lead, then literally all hell will break loose from our lives. Any grip that any darkness has on us will break loose and break free. But we have to allow him to lead we have to allow the holy spirit to lead Um, we can try to press forward in our own strength in our own will in our own power but our strength is limited his strength knows absolutely no limit we should be. We should always be defined as people who walk by the Spirit, and that means that we are following His lead. Instead of us doing a thing and then inviting Jesus to come with us, we should ask Jesus where He wants to lead us. Well, he should be the one that's leading. Um, I'm going to keep going back to John 3 because there's so much in it. Uh, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it goes. You don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. The bigger the wind, the bigger the effects. So I ask you, how big is the effect on your life? How big is the Holy Spirit effect on your life? You want to know if you're saved, then I just ask you, how big is that Holy Spirit wind in your life? Are you dying to sin and rising to new life? Are you becoming something new? your christianity should transform not just some of your life but every single part of your life I think one of the great things about christianity is it doesn't try to pound you into obedience because what happens if you if you try to force the rules and you you have all of these rules that you have to follow what happens is you hold tighter to the the issue of self Because myself, I need to get better, and I need to work really hard so I can fix these things. And whenever you allow the Holy Spirit to lead, you allow that wind to blow in, then you are allowing Him to transform you from the inside out. It's not from the outside in. And that wind can blow all of the junk out of your life. You know, sometimes... Whenever uh, you decide you're going to change, sometimes those changes happen in an instant. Uh, I've often said most change happens in a nanosecond. Whenever you decide to change, the change occurs. And all you're doing after that is you're proving that you changed. You're making a decision after decision after decision of, I have changed, so now, since I have changed, I am this person. And this person does not do that thing. Um, there are some exceptions to it. Uh, you know, with, with addictions, uh, a lot of times people get delivered from addictions all at once. Sometimes it takes a, a weaning off process. Uh, sometimes, uh, if you've been trapped in a sin for a long time, sometimes it takes a, a, a process. Um, but a lot of times, if you will allow the Holy Spirit to lead and you will allow that holy spirit wind to blow into your life the change can happen in a snap like instantly uh, the changes that tend to take longer time are habits it's not that uh, the, the sin things a lot of times the big things happen in an instant but habits because you've fallen in, you fall into a rut in your life. That's why you have to be very careful of the habits you allow yourself to develop. You fall into this rut and you just stay there. And you just keep going. You just have this habit of doing this thing. You know, I've often talked to people who say, you know, I'm, I'm really struggling with this thing that I want to stop in my life. And they, they say they want to stop this thing, but then they don't stop the thing. You know, I'm probably not the best person because I just say, all right, well, quit. Just don't ever do it again. There you go. Um, because I'm, I'm someone that thinks, you know, it, it's not a, it doesn't have to be a process. You can just say, you can just submit that thing to the Lord and just never pick it up again. You lay it down at the foot of the cross and just never pick it up again. For instance, let me give you an example. So let's say, let's say Twinkies are your problem. And you say, you know, Randy, I just want to give up Twinkies. I, I, I'm really tired of this Twinkie habit that I have, and I want to give it up, but I just can't. Well, in order to, in order to partake in a Twinkie, you have to make several compromises. If you are the type of person you decide to change, you're the type of person that doesn't want Twinkies anymore, then you have to make several compromises, several decisions that go against. You being the type of person that doesn't eat Twinkies anymore. You have to decide at the store that you're going to pick up the Twinkies. Maybe you saw them and you, and you fell into the temptation of grabbing the Twinkies and putting them in the basket. That's possible. You slipped and you made a mistake. And so you, you see, you, oh, I put the Twinkies in my shopping cart. Let me take those Twinkies out because I'm not the type of person that eats Twinkies anymore. I used to be, but I'm not anymore. And so you take the Twinkies out of your basket and put them back on the shelf. Or throw them on the ground. I mean, if you've been to Walmart, on the ground, it's fine. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, so you, you, you have to make the decision at the store, I'm going to put the Twinkies in my basket. So that's a decision. And then you make another decision. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take those Twinkies out of my basket and I'm going to put them on the conveyor belt. That's another decision. And then you have to take the Twinkies and put them in the bag. You have to take the Twinkies out of the, out of the bag. You have to put them in the, in the car. You have to take them out of the car. And you have to take them into the house. You have to take them, when you take them into the house, you have to get them out of the box. You have to take it out of the box. And then you have one last choice. Do I unwrap it? And then you have to unwrap the Twinkie. And then you consume the Twinkie. You made dozens of decisions. You had dozens of outs there all along. Because you decided that you were not the person, the type of person that eats Twinkies, and you wanted to quit. You're struggling with the fact that you keep eating Twinkies, and you wanted to quit. But then you made a bunch of decisions against that, that you're not really that type of person. And you say, well, you know, I'm working on not becoming that person. Well, no, you're not. You made a bunch of decisions, a bunch of them, that that showed that you're a Twinkie eater. And whenever you want to stop eating them, you'll stop eating them. Because you have plenty of ways to stop eating them. Now, you know that we're not actually talking about Twinkies, right? Like, we're, we're, talking, about, we're talking about cigarettes. Or we're talking about pornography. Or we're talking about lust. Or we're talking about gossip. Or we're talking about alcohol. We're talking about the thing that you know it's a habit, and you've, you've grabbed a hold of that habit and it's caused your fingers to be weak that you can't grab a hold of truth because you're holding so tightly to the habit. Look, brother, sister, look, let go of the habit. Grab a hold of truth. Stop making the decisions. If you've decided you're the type of person that doesn't do those things, don't do those things. Don't make decision after decision after decision after decision after decision after decision, after decision that you are that type of person. Because if you want to be delivered from that, allow that Holy Spirit wind to blow in and change you. Prove that that change is real by making good decision after good decision after good decision. Sometimes you face it and that temptation comes in and it's right there in front of you and that that wind blows in and and that, that Holy Spirit wind blows in and you win. And you don't know where the... You don't know where it came from. You don't know where it went. But what you do know is that you won that round. What I can tell you is once you win a round, the next round is a little bit, sometimes the tiniest fraction of a a little bit easier. But you know that you can win. Jesus isn't trying to change He doesn't come in to change your ideology. He doesn't come in to change your religion. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. And the Spirit does that. The Spirit brings life. We have some very famous Christians in our country Christian leaders that are cessationists, they believe that the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts and and the gifts of the Spirit, all of this has ceased. It's no longer available to Christians today. That's just not what the Bible says, and I'm sorry, I love these guys, I love my brothers, but that's just not what the Bible says. I cannot imagine trying to live my life on my own strength, because I would just be like, we out deuces. Like, I cannot do this. I could not make it a week. I could not make it a day without, uh, like, on my own strength. Because I'm just not, like, I'm just not strong enough. I know what I am apart from Him. I know what I am apart from the Holy Spirit. Practical, and practically speaking and spiritually speaking, you know, we don't, I try not to go too far on either side. Because you can, you can get to the extreme and, and disconnect. When you get too far on one side or the other, you disconnect with, with um, the center. You disconnect with people who are questioning. You disconnect with, with people. If you have people that, that tend to be practical, if you have people that tend to be spiritual, we don't, we don't go too far on either side. We also, very important to note, we're also not balanced either, because God never called for us to be balanced. He doesn't call us for us to balance our lives and hey, make sure you're giving God a, a, as much as you're giving the world, or make sure you're balancing your family and and God, or your your work and God. Or, or He just doesn't want that. He wants all of you. He purchased all of you, and he and all of you belongs to Him. So you cannot ignore the Holy Spirit leading. And if you will ignore the Holy Spirit and what He wants to do in your life, and you will work your way into a good spot in your mind you'll you'll work your way into uh, something and you'll get caught up into these meaningless debates i've seen it happen so many times people try to drag me into these debates and it just it's just not worth my time <laughs> like it's not worth it because neither one of us is going to win like neither one of us is going to win i'm hard-headed and you may think you're more hard-headed than me but you're not so back to john 3 the wind blows where it wishes And you will hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. There's something unexplainable and mysterious about this. Like when Jesus told parables, he was purposely telling a story where only people who were looking for truth would find it. It doesn't slap you in the face like when someone yells, repent! You know, that's like, okay, calm down, bro, chill. Like that kind of... Uh, that kind of preaching, it's like you upside the head. But Jesus, Jesus would tell these stories like about seeds and farmers and vines and vineyards and and sheep and shepherds and and these were these were stories where truth would have to be mined. It would have to be searched and found. Uh, it kind of sneaks up on you and it paws at you like a little it paws at your soul like a little kitten, and you have to you have to you have to search for it. Uh, there's something. Uh, I mean sometimes theology's job is to retain this mystery of the word. I have this friend um that we have had this like constant debate for a couple of years about how the the sovereignty of God works, and how can man his question is how can man have free will if God is sovereign and and my answer to that is because I believe that that God is fully sovereign even over man's free will. But, you know, honestly, sometimes I get to this spot where I'm like, um, and, and maybe you're familiar with this phrase, but I say this phrase, I don't know. And honestly, I think that it, it's not knowable. There's so much of God that's just not knowable. We can't know. Um, I just trust that no matter what God is good right like you believe that and and I'm okay not having to know people some people try to explain the reason God is like this or the reason that God does this is because of this and the reason is because and I just don't think that God is knowable I just don't think we can fully know him and and I'm okay with that I, I know that he's good and that's enough for me and i'm i'm okay reaping the benefits of his goodness you know cuz i can't i also can't explain how the internet works or or how cell phones work or how radio waves work there's a lot of things that i don't know how they work and i don't mind reaping the benefits so you know you if you feel like you can explain all the things that god is and why he is and how he is and and it doesn't it, you try to take this this marvel out of it Jesus said to Nicodemus, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you will hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered, are you the teacher of Israel and you do not you do not understand these things? How do you not understand? He's like, you're a Bible scholar and you don't know it. You aren't even saved. You know of God, but you don't know God. Many people know that God exists, but they don't have a real relationship with Him, which is why they struggle to transform. I think that a lot of times they want to transform, but they don't understand that that they have to have a relationship with Him. But what they do is they call Him up whenever they need something. It, it's It's kind of like, like my son, I love him, and he's just in his place in his life where he doesn't really need me. But he knows that he has a father that loves him, and any time he needs me for something, he'll call. And that's when I hear from him, is when he needs something. He'll need help with his car, or he'll need help doing something in his house, or and, and he'll call me, and he'll ask me how to do it. And that is the extent of a lot of people's relationship with God. They only call him, Whenever they need something. Some of you are in Nicodemus' place. Like you know, like Nicodemus knew that God exists. You know that God exists, but you're just waiting to need him in order to call him. Back to John 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? You tend to keep God out there, instead of in here. God is this God of creation up here, but he's he's the God in here. You want to keep God at arm's length and call on him whenever you need him. He goes on to say, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. The, the side note here, this is why I have trouble with these books, like the four minutes in heaven or four days in heaven, the the heaven vacation books where people die and they... They see things like, there's no way they could have known this stuff With if they didn't actually go to heaven. I have trouble with these things. And the reason I have trouble with these things is because of this very verse. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So whenever I see those things, I question them. The Word of God is absolutely, totally, 100% true. All the other things are questionable. And that's how you should look at it. All the other things are questionable. God and His Word, unquestionably true goes on, he said, and Moses, uh, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wild, the serpent in the wilderness, um, Jesus talks about Moses when he's talking to Nicodemus because he meets Nicodemus right where he was. Remember earlier I told you, uh, Nicodemus would have memorized um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Torah. He would have had all of those books like memorized. He would have known them, and so he knows all the stories about Moses. So when Jesus is talking about truth, he, he relays it through a story that, that Nicodemus, the guy he's meeting with, would know. Because Jesus always meets us right where we are. And so I ask you, where are you in your, relationship, in your relationship to Jesus right now? Where are you? Are you close? Are you closer than you've ever been? Because just real talk, he hasn't moved it's you that's moved. And he's not an angry father. He's not mad at you just uh, tapping his foot. He's, he's got his arms open towards you. And he's saying, come on back. Come on back, sweetheart. Come on back, son. I want to be close to you. I love you. I'm not mad at you. I just want you here with me. And so wherever you are in your relationship to God, I want you to pray that you would draw close to him and that you would develop that relationship. And that the habits that you've grabbed a hold of with, your, with your, your weak hands, that you would let go of those habits and you would hold tightly to the truth of the word of God. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your loving grace and your kindness and your mercy and for the way that you continue to just pour out your love on your kids. And we thank you that you continue to call us to deeper and deeper levels with you. You are so good, God. We are unworthy of your love, and yet you lavish it out on us. Um, We want to be your willing and faithful servants. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love you. I will see you next week. Why don't you drop a comment or a line or send a message and tell me what these messages mean to you. See you soon.